your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Welcome to the Culture Matters Interview Podcast. We're on episode number 12. This time we have a guest from France who's actually positioned in London at this moment. His name is Bernard Focroul. And Bernard Focroul is General Director of the Festival d'Aix-en-Provence and Chairman of the ENOA organization, which stands for the European Network of Opera Academies. And uh, it's a it's an extremely interesting um, interview because it gives us a total different uh, angle in terms of where culture plays a role. So not the standard business practices, if you want, but this is the if you want the artistic angle um, or the opera angle. And if you're anywhere into music, this is absolutely worth listening to. And guess what? If you're not into music, I think it's also worth listening to. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Good morning, Bernard. How are you? Good morning, Chris. I'm very well. And you? I'm very well as well. Thank you so much. Um, tell us a little bit uh, what you see when you are looking outside. What's the weather like? Where are you right now? A little bit of these uh, these ice-breaking introduction uh, questions, please. I'm right now in London, where it's very sunny, a little bit cold. Yeah. I'm in London for the whole week. And yesterday, we, we got the award of the best festival at the International Opera Awards, so I'm I'm quite happy this morning. <laughs> you woke up with a smile on your face. Yes. Okay. Um, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself, Bernard, because um, we decided to be on a first name basis, and uh, so I'm calling you Bernard. Who you are, what your function is, where you come from, and uh, sort of what is your cultural frame of reference? And with a cultural frame of reference, what I mean with that is, um, have you lived in different countries? Have you worked with different nationalities? I know you have, because that's what we're going to talk about. But give the audience a bit of an overview of uh, who Bernard of Focroul is, please. Well, my background is is uh, I'm a musician. I'm playing organ since I'm very young, and uh, I'm still playing concerts uh, over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and but since now twenty five years or almost, I've been um, uh, responsible in uh, opera houses and festival. I've been the head of the La Monnaie, the, the Brussels Opera House, for fifteen years. And since now seven years, I am the general manager of the Aix-en-Provence Festival, um, also an opera festival. So, um, and uh, we have been developing a lot of activities internationally from the festival and also from the academy because we have a quite an international academy. And this led me not only to travel a lot, but also to share a lot of uh, experiences, of lessons, of uh, um, of uh, thoughts about what's culture today, what it should be in the future. Mm-hmm. So yes, I'm, I'm very interested uh, and attracted by um, speaking about that, uh, about those uh, cultural differences in the most positive way. <laughs> yes, because that's that can be a challenge, can't it? Well, it can. It's it's not really such a challenge, in my opinion, because. 
if, uh, for example, I, I give you one example. Yes, please. Um, we, we have uh, in, in the frame in, in, in the opera live today. Yeah. Um, we are used to co-produce um, with other opera houses, and uh, we are working very regularly with uh, big opera houses like uh, La Scala, uh, Covent Garden, uh, Metropolitan Opera, the Bolshoi. And of course, each opera house has its own tradition, mm -hmm. uh, its own culture. And um, we have been quite actively um, uh, in, uh, yeah, active in, in the field. For example, in 12, 2012, mm -hmm. we made the first uh, new opera by, by uh, George Benjamin mm -hmm. uh, together with six partners across Europe. And of course, it's quite an interesting way of linking people together on one particular piece. But of course, it's not the same if you are in Toulouse or if you are uh, in, in Vienna, in Munich, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, now, uh, with, within ENOA, which is an, an European network of opera academies, it's even more extended because it brings together people from Lisbon, Riga, Olbra, uh, Verona, Munich, and so on. And so, of course, the differences in, in languages, in culture, in traditions are even uh, bigger, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's fascinating to see how these differences make sense to, to work together. And especially if you look at young artists, what young singers or composers or directors will find in traveling from one city to another one, I think is, is very, very, um, is very profitable for them. Mm -hmm. and uh, In terms of their mental development as well. Exactly, yeah. because they are facing other people, other mentalities. And this is, I think, the, the, about the world we are living in now. We have to, to think more globally, even if we still keep our tradition, our local tradition. Yes. But I think together we can do things that would not be possible just at the local level. Okay, that makes good sense. And and I think what you're referring to is a word, um, I'm not really sure who coined that word. It's called glocal, which is global and local, then put together in terms of glocal. Um, it's, it's a fascinating topic that you bring to the table here. And I'm going to back up a little bit um, because the audience, primarily the listening uh, audience is American or at least North American. Um, that's what we know from the statistics from this podcast. And what we're talking about here, we're talking to uh, Bernard Focroul, who is, um, you are, as you said, as we said also in the introduction as well, general director of the Festival d'Aix-en-Provence, and which is, Aix-en-Provence is a place and an area in the south of France. And we're talking here about opera. Opera being part of music or culture, the other side of culture, which has basically... I'm not saying nothing to do, but to a certain extent less to do with the cultural upbringing that you being French, me being Dutch, and the audience being American, for instance. Uh, so it's it's an interesting take that you have, um, that you bring to the table when talking about opera here. So how would you how would you fit in your, um, your work and all? What does that have to do with cultural difference? What does opera have to do with cultural differences? Well, let's look maybe um, for uh, one minute to the history of opera. Mm -hmm. Opera uh, is uh, an art form that was born in Italy. But in a very short time, it became very European. You know, it was, it was opera. There were singers and composers of opera all over Europe already uh, a few uh, years after the birth of opera. 
And now opera is worldwide. You have a, a big tradition in North America and you have new opera halls mm -hmm. all over in Asia, uh, in South Africa, in uh, Latin America. I, I think it's, it's very, uh, there is a big expansion of, of opera. So that's interesting to look today, for example. Mm -hmm. What is still European in the identity of opera, the repertoire, for example, and what's universal now? So we are just in a transition a very interesting moment where you have a different different levels of identity that that you can find in opera. Then uh, my own uh, interest in opera is not only for existing opera repertoire, mm -hmm. uh, but also for creating new operas, creating new forms, and also working more and more on intercultural differences. And I will give you one, I think, striking example of that. Yes, please. Um, last year at the Aix-en-Provence Festival, mm -hmm. we presented the, the first concert um, played by 11 musicians, mm -hmm. half of them coming from the Arab world, half of them coming from Europe, mm -hmm. Belgium and France, uh, led by Fabrizio Cassol, who himself is an Italian uh, musician, mm -hmm. a very good friend, wonderful musician. And uh, these people... Uh, created after two weeks of um, of working in common all together, they created a concert that was, in my opinion, very unique because they found a way to give each of them the floor for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. and, and so all the differences were absolutely recognizable, very, very clear there. Yeah. But at the same time, they were also able to join themselves and to speak or to play one common language. And I, I saw the same concert again in Brussels last week on Friday, uh, because the con this, this concert is now going, go, now going on tour, and I would dream that it would yeah. go a lot to, to the Arabic world, to, uh -huh. to, to North America. I would dream about that. Not, not easy, of course, economically speaking. Yes. Um, it's a kind... It's, it's a moment of, of very high ut utopia because you see our human beings, artists, able to be themselves, but also to go in the direction of somebody else. Uh, they were, there was a beautiful duo by two percussion players, one from Turkey, one from Brussels. Yeah. They were, uh, you had a, a different vocal traditions, and they were able at a certain at some moment to be four or five improvising at the same time. It's very moving, moving moment because music becomes like a sort of suspension. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's so strong emotionally, you know. And of course, that is not opera, but I think it's very interesting to see how. An opera institution, it can be an opera house, can be a festival, can welcome these kind of new initiatives and try to develop them to 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 give more chance to um, uh, artists living in different countries, different cultures, to 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 meet and to share that with a large audience as large as possible. Mm -hmm. 
it is the um, and, and remember we're talking here. Uh, this is usually a business podcast, so this is to some extent for some listeners this will be a stretch to listen to. On the other hand, I think if you're culturally engaged, this is a fascinating topic. Again, as I said so before, um, you mentioned that uh, people from uh, from say Belgium and France were playing together with uh, people from the Arab world, and they, they were still playing in harmony, but still being able to show their individual, if you want, background or culture. Can you sort of identify what these differences are? Also for the, the, the layman who does not know anything about opera or who is the real business person? Well, you know, the, very, very often when you hear about world music today, it's a sort of music where all the, the identities have disappeared and you, you come to a sort of neutral uh, kind of music. Mm-hmm. Here, it was exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. I think all the differences in that concert were absolutely there, very clearly presented. Can the you give way an example? Of singing. For example, the, the Arab musicians, they, they, they play or they sing with microtones, you know, very, very small intervals that we are not used to yeah. uh, in, in European music, for example. And it was fascinating to see how they were integrated, they were able to integrate that in a sort of common language. Um, there was one um, Manush musician, uh, a sort of, uh, how do you say in English, uh, a Tsigan or, or a Rom musician mm-hmm. uh, playing the violin. Yeah. And you yeah. could see the link between his own musical tradition and the, the people from uh, Syria or Egypt, you know, with a different kind of vocabulary. But they were able to speak to each other uh, the, in a way, the same language, even with a lot of differences. Mm-hmm. And uh, very clearly, also the way of playing the oud, playing guitar, uh, playing a, a trumpet or a saxophone was quite, quite, uh, quite different. And uh, there was a wonderful musician uh, living now in, in America mm-hmm. playing both the canon and the, the trumpet. And the trumpet was like a voice, completely different sound from the jazz trumpet or the classical European trumpet. So I think it's very fascinating. And I I am hoping very much that this kind of project can develop more and more, you know, uh, today and uh, in the next future, because we need this. I think it's it's a very big answer to the violence and to the refusal of, that we can see in, in so many cities, in many mm-hmm. conflicts. Mm-hmm. Think that uh, Syria now with the terrible war, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and in many other countries, there are big conflicts or, or difficulties in finding their way. So I, I am very much hoping that we that culture can bring its own voice to, to, to that process, going to more peace and more understanding. Mm-hmm. Makes good sense. Makes absolutely good sense. Uh, at least uh, you're already you're preaching to a converted already. I mean, culture is my thing to that extent, and it seems like it's your thing as well. Um, now, of course, um, from your website, uh, Inoa uh, is it .org the the link? Yes, Inoa hyphen community dot com. But these will be in the show notes as well, where people can find that back, um, which will be culturematters.com dot com slash zero one two. We're in episode number twelve here. Um, you are represented in 12 countries in Europe 
And I think to, what, to a certain extent, the uh, musicians are a relatively small group, but you're playing for a large audience. Do you see cultural differences in expectations between, say, uh, a French audience and an American audience and a South African audience? Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we have much more in common than we think. But it's true yeah. that um, the same pitch will not be exactly perceived in the same way in Paris, in New York, uh, or, or in in, uh, in Rio de Janeiro. You know, mm -hmm. it's 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 quite it's quite different. But there is something universal in 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 in, in many um, big um, pieces like opera or or, or, or music masterpieces. Mm -hmm. So I, I very much believe in that. But what we are learning within Enoa, you know, is. Um, how, first of all, to speak, to, to work about languages, because vocal music and, and opera is a lot about text, of course. Yes. Um, it's not only important to understand what you are singing. It's also important to find a way to get to each language its own musicality, its own color. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, it's very interesting for a young British a singer to to really find the right musicality of the Italian language or of the French language and and vice versa. So that's sort of a basic work that that's very fascinating. Then, um, of course, when we speak about creating about writing new operas, also there you have different uh, backgrounds and different cultures. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, for example, in America now. The, 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 the musical has become quite an important language, you know, uh, if, we, if we speak about opera and text in music, musical is the main reference. It's not in Europe, uh, and especially not in South of Europe. Right. So uh, I will give you one uh, wonderful example we, yeah. we, we could um, have uh, in the last years. We, in Aix-en-Provence, we have every summer uh, uh, one or two workshops for young uh, creative artists, composers, directors, writers, and so on, choreographers, mm -hmm. visual artists, and they meet, they, they attend all performances, they meet with big artists, and uh, we invite them to discover what opera really is and what it could be. And from those uh, workshops, some of these artists come back with projects and in 2010, we um, had a, a very interesting young Portuguese composer called Vasco Mendonça, a very gifted guy. He was a former uh, student by uh, George Benjamin in London. And uh, he came to us with a, a project. He was very much willing to write an opera based on a novel by Cortazar, uh, The House Taken Over. La Casa Tomada uh, in, in Spanish. Uh -huh. And um, he had an idea, but he still had to develop. So we made a first workshop one year, one year later in 2011. Mm -hmm. with, uh, and he wanted to try it with a young German um, uh, producer, uh, director. Mm -hmm. So they had an interesting workshop. But I felt that at the end of that workshop, still, the project was uh, of a high potential, but not on the right rail. So I suggested them a second uh, team. They worked again. And finally, in the festival of December tw uh, 12, I invited Katie Mitchell, the, 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 the prestigious uh, opera director, mm -hmm. uh, to stage uh, his opera. And we had the premiere of that opera last year 
uh, in 13, in summer of 13. So you see, year after year, this project has been workshopped, developed, and uh, has uh, with, with new artists coming in, the, the, the new librettist was a young British um, uh, artist uh, now living in France. So the project in itself was quite intercultural, you know, in many ways. And now that the, that the opera exists, it has been presented in Aix-en-Provence, in Antwerp, in Lisbon, in Strasbourg, in Luxembourg, and I hope it will be uh, brought into other continents. So I, I think that is quite interesting. And of course, in each city, the audience will react a little bit differently because their own um, <clears throat> knowledge or, or experience with this kind of musical language, with this kind of tale, which is a, a quite a strange um, story because the house is invaded but you don't know really by what or by whom. And at the end, the, the sister and the brother have to leave the house. So it's quite a strange and frightening story in itself. And um, yeah, I, I, I see, I think that opera would never have come to birth without a lot of circulation, geographical circulation, mm-hmm. cultural circulation in the process and then after in its um, in its life, and this is a what you're talking about here is a is a newly created opera here, exactly a newly invented written opera. Um, I, I to some extent I'm blushing a bit because I am I am I'm lacking so much knowledge on this topic, and I'm very grateful that you're actually on the show here and uh, explaining us to the audience as well. Um, how culture and music, music actually either uh, they, they they could enrich themselves um, and still be able to show these cultural uh, those cultural differences. Building a little bit on that idea, would you say, maybe this is an open-door question, would you say that the older operas, like the real, real old, maybe originally Italian operas, are better done by Italians or Europeans, or would you say it doesn't really matter who is playing? It's an interesting question. Um, Strange enough, I would not say that Italian opera houses now are the best places to play, to perform Italian opera, and there are several reasons for that. A part of that is the crisis that uh, that is there in Italy, and it's not only an economical crisis; it's also a cultural crisis, and the system doesn't work anymore. Of course, you have La Scala, you have Torino, you have a few houses that are still mm-hmm. in shape, but most of them are in, are suffering a lot. But of course, if we speak about Italian opera, we have even if it's a Russian singer singing, um, let's say Otello or, or Desdemona or. or Traviata, whatever the nationality of the performer, I think he or she will have to find the Italian roots of the piece in the language, in the in the style. There is something very special that we call Italianita. And Italianita has a lot to do with the phrase, with the continuity of the phrase. And when you, when you uh, perform an opera by Verdi, you cannot conduct it like uh, an opera by, by Bizet or by Wagner, it, it is difficult, it is different. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some singers who are not able to, to switch from one culture to the other. Right. But I think the biggest singers find their own way, you know, in that. And they can be absolutely beautiful. They can be they can sing like Italians, mm-hmm. or conductors can be as an Italian conductor, or, uh, and if they perform a Russian opera, it will sound differently. Yeah. So we are now in a situation 
where I would not say that an Italian singer is definitely better for Italian repertoire, mm -hmm. but a non-Italian singer will have to make a lot of efforts in order to appropriate yes. this Italian style, culture, and language. So it's in other words, it doesn't come natural. You have to make an effort in order to, if you want, bridge that that cultural gap to some extent. Yeah, you. I think it's a combination of effort, of pleasure. Yep. And at this, at the end, you know, of that process or in the middle of that process, you become yourself individually much more rich, because if you integrate elements from another culture, you are becoming a part of that culture. At the same, you know. Mm. And I, I even feel the same when I read a beautiful book by, let's say, a Japanese or a Chinese author. I, I'm very fond of uh, Kenzaburo Oi, mm -hmm. the Japanese Nobel Prize, and it has, um, I, and I love Japan, and I've been there quite often, mm -hmm. but when I read a book by Oi, I feel that I can touch something that is, that is essential in his own culture, mm -hmm. And I am becoming very modestly a part of that culture too. And uh, of course, speaking about literature is the same if we speak about music, theater, cinema, dance, visual arts. So we have a fantastic opportunity to become so close to the other's culture yep, that yep. that culture becomes to be ours too. And I think this is, um, especially in our time with a lot of, cultural uh, clashes and, and conflicts, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's another way to look at it. And uh, I, I think it's really our duty today as artists and uh, within the cultural community to increase these possibilities offered to many young people and to many people all over the world. Yes, and in a way they would become ambassadors um, uh, to the fact that actually culture is bridgeable. And uh, I love the word you used, uh, it's effort, but also pleasure. That's a, that's a yeah. good addition there. Um, personal question, if I may, to some extent personal. What is your personal pain and joy um, in working with, uh, with other cultures? Pain and joy. Because sometimes it's, there's some friction and sometimes, yeah. as you said to yourself, there's pleasure as well. It's a very good question. I will give you a very personal example. Mm -hmm. I'm, I am an organist. I'm mm -hmm. playing organ. And um, in the last years, I have been uh, playing several times with a Palestinian musician who is a, a oud player and a singer and a composer. Uh, so we make a duo. Um, and, of course, he has a completely different culture from mine and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And what is not easy for me is to, to come close to his own rhythmical tradition because I don't have that tradition. Yes. I'm not an improviser uh, as he is on that. Mm -hmm. And... On his way, on, 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 on his side, it is not easy for him to come uh, very close to my own European tradition of um, reading music and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, in that meeting, you have the pain and, 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 and the big effort and also something extremely valuable mm -hmm. that's difficult to describe. That's to, to feel that sometimes... You come very close to each other, but you cannot really go as far as you would dream to do. Mm -hmm. So in that process, every concert has been quite emotional from for us, but especially for the audience, because I think the audience has um, ex experiences this concert much in a more different way than a pure organ concert or than a pure oud concert. You know, mm -hmm. the fact that we are bringing our own traditions together. Um, 
means something different, that it's more that the addition of, the, of those two cultures, it's something in between that's, that's quite fascinating. Um, so I think that's, that's a good example. And of course, yes. I dream to be rhythmically more subtle and uh, able to follow him more mm-hmm. uh, into his own world. It's a, thank you for sharing this, uh, this personal example here. Um, and I guess it's not easy like that. It, it does, does take effort, but the rewards are, uh, can be quite magnificent as well, I, I, I presume. Yeah. And I would like maybe to give another example. Sure. That we, we, a beautiful experience um, we had two years ago in, in Aix-en-Provence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Aix-en-Provence and Marseille are two cities very close to each other. Quite they're, they're both in the south of France, close both to the Mediterranean, on the Mediterranean. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and in Marseille, which is a bigger city than Aix, um, you have a, a, a lot of uh, communities living there. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest communities is coming from the Comorian Islands, mm-hmm. uh, people coming from the, 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 the Indian Sea, so very far away with their own language, culture, and so on and so forth. It's quite a poor community, I must say. Mm-hmm. And they are quite isolated and um, they have very little to promote their own culture. But they have a f- there are a few associations there. And at the festival, we have um, a department um, that works a lot. Uh, we, we call that department Passerelle, which is bridges, something mm-hmm. like that. And we, we try to um, multiply um, collaborations with different kinds of associations and communities. So two years ago, we uh, contacted one of uh, Comorian association there, and we suggested them to make a project together. And um, we they, they brought um, a dozen of, of uh, women women mm-hmm. uh, with uh, little children. I think between four and and, and ten, uh, a few teenagers too from the same area, not the same culture but the same area. Mm-hmm. And we made. Um, a few weekends of work with two musicians of the London Symphony Orchestra, who was in residence in X at the time, mm-hmm. three young musicians from um, the, the region there, um, uh, and um, they were led by a very experienced musician and by a choreograph uh, called Thierry Thuyong. And at the beginning, we were not sure even whether these women who were completely amateurs would would be ready to sing once in in, in public. Yes. And the end result was absolutely breathtaking because they they created the most moving performance based on lullabies. They they, they have been working on lullabies from uh, lullabies from uh, the Comorian Islands, uh, quite dramatic uh, songs for children, but very dramatic. And what came out of this was absolutely beautiful. And you, ha- you got such a feeling of dignity from these people. Uh, and the most emotional ones were the LSO musicians, because they told us that kind of experience we never had before. So it's, it's a win-win situation, because everybody, uh, all, all the, tra- the classical musicians... Yeah, yeah tried to come closer to this tradition from the Comorian Islands, and they brought something from with them. But uh, what they received from these women and the children was so essential, so fragile and strong at the same time, that I think nobody in the audience could say, well, I, I'm not uh, interested in that. Yeah, it was yeah. 
exactly the opposite. Yeah. So it's another example, you know, where, and I think this is typical of our time, and I think we should much, we should work much more at that level of intercultural uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a fascinating angle that you actually bring to the table. Again, I've said it a couple of times. I can't repeat it enough somehow. Uh, when I do presentations and, and uh, when I do workshops on intercultural management, there's a slide that I use um, which talks about how multicultural teams are, are actually pretty much the only way to create really true synergy. And all the time for years and years now people find that difficult to believe and I think you just gave the most striking example on how to, how a couple or two different cultures can work together and create something that is that moves pretty much everybody else who's looking at it or experiencing it yeah um, so very yeah. nice example there it's um, we're about 30 minutes in the uh, in the interview I have like two more questions left for you is that okay yes okay um, again you have a lot of cultural and intercultural experience there are you able to give the audience three, if you want, words of wisdom or three cultural tips when dealing with another culture? What should people look for or look out for? Well, certainly the first tip would be to listen to, you know, to, to take time to, yeah. to listen to and not to go too fast. I think that that's very important. Um, the second would be to try not to be worried or, or to be fearful I think it's important when you go when you go into this kind of, of work that you you try to be as open as possible to be open also for surprises mm-hmm. some difficulties you know yes. yeah um, <clears throat> I think I think that 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 is quite important to me and um, then it will very much depend whether you are actively involved which is of course by far the best because if you are actively involved, you can also be actively involved as a listener or as a spectator. Sure. Then I think it can be a, a striking experience, not only a beautiful one, oh, this is really beautiful to look at or the beautiful music to, to, to listen to. No, it's much more than that. It's, it's about humanity, about uh, human beings. And I think that is, uh, when you have experienced that, it, it changes your life and your the way you look at the world good points take the time and listen don't be fearful don't be afraid expect things uh, new things to happen things to go differently than you're uh, probably expected um, and be actively involved excellent tips there bernard if people want to get in touch with you personally how can they do that or with your organization as well I think the best would be to to go to the Inoa community. Mm-hmm. I think you gave the uh, the address earlier on. Yes, and uh, we have quite a, a, a vivid community of artists and uh, responsible sort of Europe. Mm-hmm. And that would be the the best way to to reach us and uh, to yeah to be part of that discussion and. Uh, and exchanges. And find out more. There's an excellent video there, introduction video on the landing page. There, um, check that out. See that uh, it's a three and a half minute video or something. And you see a couple of these people, uh, including Bernard, passing by and uh, giving his view on uh, on opera and, and the international aspects of that. Um, I would like to thank you so much for um, for reaching out and uh, and again bringing this to the table. It's a uh, 
I know culture is pretty much in every, everything that we do and look at. Um, I don't think there's anything culturally neutral. I'm happy to see that opera is also not culturally neutral and that its cultural in neutrality actually is a, uh, a good addition to the, the, the topic of opera or maybe music in general. Um, thank you so much, Bernard, for, um, for coming to, uh, to the table here and explaining how opera is influenced by culture and how it actually enriches each other. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. It was a, a real pleasure to speak about that. Great. Thank you. thank you. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.